A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Lily Dennison from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, folks, and hello in particular to Lily Dennison that you heard on our intro there. Lily in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, lovely, uh, rich, lovely voiceovery type voice there for our intro. Thank you, Lily. It's a, uh, it's a tough time to be in the States at the moment, or frankly, it's a tough time to be anywhere, uh, but tough time to be in the States. So we're thinking of you, Lily, and hope things improve maybe in November. Um, oh, I've got all political. No one's even said anything. Um, yeah, tough time, tough time to be in, uh, in my living room at the moment because I accidentally, uh, double dosed on my coffee this morning and I, I've just in a sleepy haze forgot that I'd already spooned my, uh, coffee into my mug. So I did it twice and I've got mega, mega jitters. I can't get rid of them. Or maybe it's because I've just been listening to Drip by Denis Shapovalov and Corentin Mute. But either way, I'm, I'm on edge. Yeah, I think it's the latter because I've also got the jitters. So, <laughs> and I've had normal coffee. Um, Drip was on our agenda. It was quite far down our agenda. But given I've just mentioned it and don't want to have to mention it twice, should we just, should we just get our review of, of Drip out of the way now? Can we just tell my mum what it is? Because she doesn't know. It's, it's a rap rap song uh, written uh, uh, and written by Denis Shapovalov and Corentin Mute, who have now joined forces um, and recently released. Um, it's on it's on YouTube. I mean, I I I don't I don't think you would. I mean, why would you want to buy it? But maybe you can buy it from somewhere if you'd like to. But um, I they mean, I would advise against days. that. You know, these are. These are tough times. I think there's, you know, better places for your money to go. Well, I mean, we, we were listening to it, and I did find myself slightly nodding, a, nodding along for, for eight seconds. Um, and there is multiple references to the word drip. Um, and then I started to get a little bit irritated by it, and then the jitters did follow. So that's my review. I think the sort of musical hook is all right. Uh, very repetitive. I think uh, that it's sort of decently produced uh, it seems to have been produced by um oh maybe it doesn't actually say on the i thought it did say no uh property <laughs> of chapeau music so that's uh, provided to you on youtube by distro kid i don't know if that's the producer anyway right, uh, yeah, it's, it's qu quite sort of decent quality production the lyrics are an absolute abomination 
Any particulars? It's like they've ironically played rap song bingo and put a load of, you know, words that you must say in in cheesy low rent rap music into a hat and pulled them out line by line. And they have to rhyme. Made another mill with that drip down. Got another kill with that drip down. This might not be exactly accurate because the diction is not that great um, on the song, but this is my interpretation. Got it in my crib with that drip down. It's like mill, kill, crib. Um, There is references to sitting back and counting this cash. Um, I feel, I mean, look, he's an adult. He can take responsibility for his own actions, but I feel bad for Corentin Mute, who really seems to me he's been dragged down into this quagmire. Um, I would definitely advise Corentin if he does want to continue with the rap, which each to their own, stick stick to rapping in French. French rap is better. Is he good in, or, ra- in French, is he? Or? He's better, yeah. Yeah. And I just you know, made another mill with that drip down. Corentin Mute's total career earnings are $1,260,217. So accounting for expenses, that's not even one mill. So you're not counting another mill unless he's got really, really great sponsorship deals that I'm not aware of. Does anybody know what... Could somebody explain to me what drip down means oh it's meaningless that is an essential but, no he's made another meal essential with it. feature of crap rap music that <laughs> but he's made another meal with it Catherine. you've got to understand yeah he's done that with the drip down so I, i'm trying to understand what what that means yeah i think we've given it enough air time haven't we okay matt your your review you'll probably sum it all up in a brilliant one-liner i i really have nothing to say on it <laughs> i mean it just make it stop please <laughs> Downloadable, folks, if you want to. uh... (laughs) Copyright Chapeau Music. Um, So that is what's happening. I love both of their tennis. In musical tennis. I've just put him in my prediction semi finals, Shapovalov. No, you haven't. Gosh. Yeah. Have you? Despite him complaining in his song that everybody says he's overrated. Well, not me, Dennis. I'm very much rating you. You are overrating him. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Again, it was on these things where I didn't intend to, but then I looked at the draw and somehow it happened because uh, the draws have been done. They were done at 5pm UK time uh, last night, which was 6pm local time. Matt, you were following live and live tweeting. Uh, Was it a proper draw rather than a draw reveal first and foremost? Yes, it was excellent, I have to say. It was all electronically done. Normally they do the uh, non-seeds electronically, I think, and then draw the seeds out of a hat. But obviously in in COVID times, they are not wanting to touch a load of chips. So they did it all electronically. And it was excellent, easy to follow, quick and genuine excitement when the names came out. Yes, I, I wholeheartedly approve of this draw method. And there was some genuine sharp intake of breath, ooh, ah, gasp, you know, if everyone had been in the same room, which obviously they weren't, but there would have been probably quite genuine gasps and oohs and ahs, right, at a, at a couple of moments in that drawer, I think. Yes, the main one was Andy Murray getting Stan Wawrinka and 
because the way they did it was they drew the non-seeded names first. You could tell that Andy Murray was going to be facing a seed. And then when the seeds came out, it was just a question of who it would be. And then, of course, it was Stan Wawrinka, which I think, other than probably Djokovic and Nadal, that was probably as sort of gasp-inducing as you could get, given Murray's history with Wawrinka at the French Open and the fact that the very last match Murray played on a clay court was that one at the 2017 French Open, which, in Murray's own words, finished off his hip. Yeah, and he'd he'd practised with Stan Wawrinka, I think, the day before, hadn't he? And he'd done a social media post about it, saying exactly that. He'd written the script himself. He'd said you know, amazing to be back on this court or whatever brings back memories of our match in 2017, which turned out to be the end of my hip. So, you know, if if Andy Murray's putting it is sort of narratively is, is that, I don't think we're all getting carried away with with the poetry of this, of what this draws thrown up. No, not, not least because it kind of did the damage to both of them because Stan Wawrinka wasn't the same after that match either. He he played Rafael Nadal in the final. Now he could have lost that straightforwardly anyway, anyway. Um but he was not competitive in that final and then a couple of months later he's having double knee surgery. And if you remember when we arrived at the 2018 Australian Open, he was trying to make his comeback and he was using the words uh, I mean, he was a last-minute entrance, if you remember. He 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 was he, he had one practice session to decide whether he would enter the Australian Open, and he decided to play. And he said, "I've got to start somewhere." Uh, and he was clearly. I remember. I remember describing it as though his legs looked as though they didn't really belong to him. He he just didn't look on steady ground at all. And yet, in that particular semi-final, he played against Murray. For whatever amount of time they were on the court. They were both pretty close to their very best. It was a classic match. There were a couple of tie breaks. It was just a tug of war between these two greats of the modern game, really. Okay, they're just that level below Nadal, Federer and Djokovic, but they are two of the most important players in men's tennis in the last 15 years. And they just took it to each other. They're a great contrast, great combination for a match. And they produced it on that day but Murray well I think it was a week later he arrived at Queen's and we were with him a lot and he was he was number one in the world wasn't he he was still at that time and he was he'd been branded in that superheroes outfit the red and the blue trying to make out that he's a superhero and he looked like similarly to how I described Vavrenka there as though his legs didn't belong to him I think he'd had a pretty severe injection to take the pain away and it had made him feel really weird you know he couldn't really feel the rest of his body and then he played that Wimbledon he lost to Sam Querrey if you remember he he managed a decent run to the quarterfinals and then he didn't play in I can't remember how long but I mean he was out for ages and and he was never the same again until until after the hip resurfacing surgery you couldn't write it better could you I don't think I know I know, I mean, there have been various videos emerging this week of, well, I mean, of everybody hitting uh, hitting on clay, Roland Garros, hitting under the new Chatrier roof, which I'm finding very difficult to get used to, I think, sort of combined with the um, the different autumnal 
conditions and the new acoustics and the I know there's never crowds at this stage of the tournament but but still knowing that what you're seeing in practice sessions is going to be very similar acoustically to what we're seeing what we end up seeing next next week more of that in a minute I don't know I found quite a lot of those videos quite eerie actually um but seeing the videos of Andy Murray hitting on clay look I, I've I've got no idea what what level of tennis he will produce I really don't we've we've got absolutely as you say David that was the last clay court match he played we've got absolutely no reference point for metal hipped Andy Murray that's playing the last on clay. clay court match he played really wow mm. yeah that's... you said that no, I, I said that. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Matt. That, that, I hadn't really <laughs> Somebody said that. that. I, I said that, that and clearly no one was listening. Three and a half years. I was very much listening. I was just hearing the voice of David Law. <laughs> wow. Um, I just, it just really takes you aback, doesn't it? It's a thing. I mean, three and a half years. Wow. Yeah. Look, so no reference point at all for the level of tennis. But in terms of his physical comfort level, I think he looks pretty happy moving on the clay and I do cast my mind back to when I interviewed him for Prime back in I think it was on the 5th of March this year on the eve of what should have been the trip to Indian Wells and it was you know looking back now there was an awkward moment of um with doing the elbow tap instead of the standard cheek kiss greeting and it was like oh we've all we've all gone a bit far with the old covid um you know we we better do the elbow tap because you know the the powers that be are in the room when actually thank god we got the elbow tap wouldn't want to catch coronavirus at the uh, at the national tennis center anyway no, no, no suggestion that there is coronavirus rampant at the National Tennis Centre or has been at any time. I can see David's face. No, just I'm thinking, I think you don't want to give issue it. issue disclaimer for Catherine again. Imagine, imagine if you gave it to Andy Murray. I mean, well, yeah. you don't, you don't <laughs> and, want to be the one responsible that well. for that, do you? Um, and obviously at, at that point we were focusing on, he had, he had at that point uh, pulled out of his plans to play Indian Wells and he was hoping to be fit to play Miami. And he was kind of in that niggly stage with his hip where he was feeling that impingement and it all felt very stuttering again. And he said, nobody's asking me about the clay. Uh, you know, he said, and when they do ask, they're kind of assuming that maybe I won't even play the clay. And he said, he said, clay is the surface I'm most looking forward to for my hip because it is the softest, it's the kindest and most forgiving on your joints. So that doesn't mean necessarily that he'll get his best results. But in terms of how comfortable he feels moving, I, I, it, it's, it's nice to see him looking, I, I think, less, less tentative um, mm. on the hip, which he has been generally recently, but... Um, I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing that from him. And that is the big hope, I think, from this match, that both players sort of emerge from it intact, unlike unlike they did the last time. And I was just thinking about it as, as much as I love the, you know, the poetic narrative around it. It is a bit of a shame that they are playing in the first round. I mean, I, I like high profile matches, but I was thinking from Murray's perspective, we saw how his recovery at the US Open was a real struggle and maybe the clay will be soft on his hip and his body generally and that will make recovery easier but perhaps in one sense it's better to have the marquee match 
first. So he goes into it kind of ready. You know, he, he had that marquee match against Orger Eliassim at the US Open and he, he just wasn't ready for it, having had a pretty grueling five set of the round before. So perhaps it's a good thing that he gets this match first and he can kind of go into it as fresh as he possibly can and, and give it a bit of a go. And I think there's a lot of talk about whether Murray needs to adjust how he plays the game now, whether he needs to be more aggressive to shorten to shorten the length of these rallies and matches so it does take less out of his body. And if he's looking for a template, actually the match he played against Wawrinka the year before the 2017 semi-final, they, they also played in 2016. And I think that's Murray's best ever clay court match when he was so aggressive and so tactically aware against Wawrinka. And I think it'll be interesting whether he deploys a similar kind of aggression in this one. Well, what did he do, Matt? Because I can't, I can remember the result. I, uh, I can't really remember the match. I remember him really standing in and taking on Wawrinka's second serve and just taking Wawrinka's time away and, and just being the aggressor out there and not, not getting involved in lots of long rallies against Wawrinka, who's so physical and strong and can kind of bully you from the back of the court. But it was Murray who was who was really taking the ball early and taking it to Wawrinka. And I mean, Murray was in his absolute peak in 2016. I'm, I'm not expecting him to be able to play at that level again, but I just wonder whether he might adopt that approach and you know Wawrinka's pretty pretty rusty himself he's played he's played a bit more on the clay than Murray he played a couple of challenger events I think in, in in Prague while the US Open was going on and just before but he lost in the first round of Rome didn't he to Lorenzo Mozzetti so he's he's kind of short on match practice as well so there's a chance for Murray but I'm I'm, I'm intrigued by it all how Murray will play and how they will both hold up Hold up physically. I'm expecting a classic, personally, uh, between these two. I really am because. <laughs> of course, he is. Talking about the, the you, you're talking about the, the wear and tear on the body. I, I, it stands to reason that this will work for these players, to me at least, who have been injured, who have who have still chiselled themselves into incredible shape now. Phys- the rest of their physicality, whatever those joints are like, the rest of them, they're ready to go. These two and. I, I think I think Murray will be aggressive. I think I think Vavrinka will be aggressive. I think it'll be really explosive and probably long. And just talking about the draw, the winner likely to play Dominic Kepfer, who's just been so impressive the last couple of weeks. He, he's had didn't he get to the semi-finals of um, of Rome? Of Rome, yes. And he, Called he was, quarters. He, quarters. He was, quarters, quarters, and he was brilliant. And he's followed it up with a couple of results in in Hamburg as well. He, I mean, you could very easily imagine him kind of picking up the pieces of that match and ending up beating the winner. But playing, I playing think, the remains of Andy Murray slash Stan Wawrinka yes. might, might end up putting it again. Yeah, but I think that the actual first round match. Look, I. I Obviously, it would be nicer if it was a fourth round or a quarter final or a semi final, but I'll I'll take it. I think it, it's just going to be a wonderful experience to see them go at it again. David Law in optimism shocker. Um, what 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 were the other, on the men's side, Matt? Any other maybe not gasp worthy moments, but intake of breath worthy moments? Well, I think the big. The big question about the draw was which which half will team land in, whether it will be Djokovic's half or Nadal's half. And he's landed in Nadal's half, which I think is significant because he's he's beaten Djokovic, hasn't he, a couple of times 
at the French Open in the last few years. And as we've talked about, it's incredibly difficult to beat two of them in the same tournament. So my takeaway from that was that I kind of had team and Djokovic level as second favourite, probably before the draw. I would now slightly elevate elevate Djokovic above team, given that Djokovic doesn't have either team or Nadal in his half. I think he's quite a clear favourite to get to the final, barring any incidents. Um, so that was significant, I think. Um, team's draw itself is quite tough. He opens against Marin Cilic. That was a kind of slightly gasp-inducing moment. We, of course, it means that we've got um, two matches between all Grand Slam champions in the first round, Mario Wawrinka and then Team versus Chilic. So at least two Grand Slam champions will be going out in the first round and there obviously aren't that many in the men's draw. So that's, I mean, that was significant. Um, and then I think the other thing that I looked at was Stefano Tsitsipas's draw being tough. Mm. That, that just just jumped out at me. He plays um, who does he play? He plays Jaume Muna in the first round. Then probably Pablo Cuevas. Then possibly Filip Krajanovic, and then possibly Denis Shapovalov. Just to get to the quarterfinals. That that to me, there's a lot of informed players. There's a lot of clay court specialists in there. I know Sitsipas is gaining a bit of form and confidence. Hopefully this week in Hamburg, but. That is a tough, tough draw for him, I but, think. But that could be a poison chalice in itself because the the Hamburg final is on the same day as mm. day one of Roland Garros. There is an actual overlap. So obviously they wouldn't schedule Sitsipas's match for Sunday were he in the Hamburg final or one would presume in the semi-finals, although I've not heard any guarantee of that. Um, I, I, I can't help but think that that puts him at a puts him at a disadvantage. My mind goes back to, was it this year that, that Alex de Menor won Sydney um, and uh, he was sh- won Sydney on the Saturday and he was scheduled on the Monday of the Australian Open and he and he lost first round. I it was last was, year, I think, wasn't it? Because yeah, he, pull, he pulled out this year. This yeah. was an ATP Cup, wasn't it? And he had g- really good results there and then he got hurt and couldn't play. Australian Open. Yes. No, it was last year. It was last year. And Tsitsipas will have to do a 24-hour quarantine as well when he arrives. So, Oh, crikey. Enforcing Stefanos Tsitsipas to be in a room on his own for 24 hours. Uh, don't. <laughs> so, I mean, if, if he gets to the Hamburg final, that's Sunday. He's probably not getting to Paris until that evening. He'll probably... I mean, his his first trip to site might be to play his match. I mean, well, that's I'm- the kind of quick turnaround of the of the time zones that we're talking about. Actually, here. they are doing a lot of that, aren't they? Of, of only having players there for their match and their practice mm-hmm. session to minimize time together because of COVID-19. Catherine, just quickly, Sitsipas is due to play Shapovalov if the seeds go to, according to plan ninth seed against the fifth seed. Does that mean you've got Shapovalov beating Sitsipas? Well, I haven't, for the predictions, we don't have to do fourth rounds. I have Shapovalov in my quarters. I don't, I, I, I after this discussion, I feel good about the fact that I don't have Sitsipas there. I think, as as Matt just explained, there is not an insignificant chance the chance that he won't get to that fourth round. It is a. I think it's a really tough draw. If he's struggling for confidence, playing confidence players, I know. I think that's tough. So, yeah, don't make me make 
predictions that I haven't been required to make for official purposes. Um, I You've don't have Sitsipas in my quarterfinal lineup. Let's right. leave it at that. I, I saw him. I saw him the other day. He looked good to me. In the women's draw, Matt, what jumped out? Well, again, it was it was a Brit, I think, with the standout match, and that is uh, Joe Conta against Coco Goff in round one. Um, I, I'm not sure what to think about that match. I mean, Goff, Goff is a junior French Open champion, I believe. I just haven't seen that match of her on clay at all. I know she played Muguruza the other week in in Rome and performed pretty well in that match, but I I genuinely have no real expectations of what she's like on, on clay. I know she's a great competitor, so I'm sure she will cause Conta problems in that match. Um, and it's an interesting one for Conta, who is so process-based, and I don't get the impression that she does get particularly concerned about who she's playing that often to me it feels like she approaches every match just kind of thinking about herself and what she can control on the court and that is a real test of that skill and that method against Coco Goff because you know you don't you don't want to lose to a 16 year old Coco Goff and there's so much hype around her and there's such a tension and whenever she plays I think it's it's an interesting match mentally for Joe Conta whether she will be able to control control it the way she likes to I think stylistically as well she could be problematic for Conta if if Conta's hitting her straps and playing kind of a blinkers on she might be able to just be relentless enough to knock her off the court but what I like about Goff, and I think she will be good on clay, is A, her movement, and B, her ability to imp- improvise. And she'll throw slices in, she'll throw angles in, and she could just... And those are the sort of players we've seen cause contra problems. Mm. She could make a malfunction. Oh, well, I've got contra in my quarterfinals, so... <laughs> Feeling yeah, less good about I mean, that. Have, have you seen where I am in the standings at the moment? <laughs> I have. David's David's graph points downwards I mean, quite in, significantly, in, and in it's the great. Predictions for the year. The, we have a, a number of our Kickstarter backers that, that um, back us at a level to take us on throughout the year at the Grand Slams, and there were probably about four people out of the thirty who've entered who just didn't get around to entering the U.S. Open, and they're still ahead of me. <laughs> even though they didn't enter. Yeah, Math has had to reduce the scale on the graph in order to accommodate the size of uh, David's downward bar relative mm. to the size well, of other people's upward well, upward bars. Although that's a whole separate predictions competition. David is David is languishing in both. Yeah. Rather I like Rather the gra- I like I really enjoy the visual of exactly how badly David's doing. I'm I'm big fan of the graph. I'm just going to pick up my trophy of last year and place it here just for um for comfort. Um yeah, I'll just put it there. Actually, the way you've positioned that on the <laughs> Zoom, it looks like the trophy has your name on it. <laughs> It does have my name on it. Look. Oh, it does. Oh, yeah, of course it does. It does. Great. So, hang on. These trophies Law. that you you bought yourself, they're not reusable for... We can't... I'll get my other one, shall I? They are... Here we are. The one that's shaped like a coffin. Yeah. And I've, and okay. I forgot you had two. I'm mm. also... I've got my tennis podcast mic and my tennis podcast hoodie 
on. Yeah, so all, the, really all the gear branded. and literally no idea. Right. Matt, what else from the women's draw? <laughs> Um, what else? I mean, I always look to see where Serena Williams lands and she's in the top half with Simona Halep. And well, she starts against Christiane, who she also played in the first round of the US Open. Not sure what Christiane has done <laughs> to to the tennis draw gods. Could you deserve. imagine her face if she, when she was told that? <laughs> I mean, you would think yeah. somebody's on a wind up, wouldn't you? Um, and then Serena gets another potential US Open rematch in round two, possibly against Svetlana Peronkova, which could be tricky. She caused Serena quite a few problems in New York. And then also in her section is Victoria Azarenka, so another potential US Open rematch. Um, And Azarenka herself could play Venus Williams again in round two. So all those those multiple Grand Slam champions in one section. Um, And my other big takeaway from the women's draw is just how open the bottom half is in particular Garbinia Muguruza is in that half I think for me she's the favorite to come through that half because so many of the other seeds there you've got Kvitova, Sabalenka, Kerber, Keys, Stevens, Kenin they're either not really clay court specialists or they're hopelessly out of form so I could imagine there being one or two surprises in, in that bottom half. But I think Muguruza, if she's fit, she had a little bit of a injury problem against uh, Halep in, in Rome. But if she's fit, I think she's probably the strong favourite in that bottom half. I've got a Muguruza-Halep final, and that is both head and heart. Mm. Yeah, I can't, I, mm. I've been looking at it, and I haven't gone through this round by round yet, but that does seem like... A very sensible shout. Um, oh, Feel free it's to copy be it. Good. Well, I might now. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but I need in, to gain ground, don't I? So I need to go out on a limb the way I have with do. Christian Garin for the uh, for the Hamburg title. Is he um, still in, in the draw? Yeah, still there. It's the only one of our three that's still going, you know. David yeah. can now pick Christian Garin out of a lineup and everything. <laughs> <laughs> he sent um, us a photo of him the other day just to sort of show off that. Uh, he, you know who he is in He's fist man. pump mode uh, having just mode, yeah. got another win on the board for me um actually uh, i'm looking at these draws they're fantastic draws i mean really i know that in the women's draw there are three big names missing in andrescu and osaka and um and the defending champion of course ash Barty. but the, the women's game is has got so many good names and styles of play and storylines that I think it can probably weather that more than the men's draw can when there's a and if you if you knock three of the biggest names out of the men's draw you, a bit like we were in the US Open there there were some glaring holes in in terms of appeal I I feel during the US Open looking at the US the the French Open men's draw just quickly going back to that I think it looks it couldn't have landed more appetizingly from a neutral's perspective now I know Certain players will be thinking, oh, Djokovic looks like he's got a really lucky draw or a really easy draw. Um, and, and look at t- and teams got a nightmare looking draw on paper. But if, if I could have wanted it that way around for entertainment's purposes, that's what I would have gone for because I think that team physically can handle it and he can probably bulldoze his way through to that meeting with Nadal. And then Djokovic meeting the winner of that potentially. I think that that is all a beautiful thing 
I really do. I think we're in for a cracking couple of weeks. David's definitely recovered from his jet lag, hasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> this is, I still don't this know who is I'm going to go for. two podcasts worth of optimism rolled into one. On, on the men's draw, I mean, I haven't done my predictions round by round yet, but I, I mean, really, I feel like I, I could, at the moment, make a case, a strong case in my mind as to who is going to come out on top out of those three pretty equally right now. I'm not. I'm not convinced who I think is going to win that yet. So you're not convinced of who's the favourite for the French Open? No, not not the way that draw has fallen. I, I I mean, actually, I was listening even before the draw was made. I was listening to uh, Todd Woodbridge on Channel Nine, and he's got Nadal as third favourite for the title. And this was before the draw was made, based on what he'd seen in Rome. He'd got Djokovic as the favourite, having come in and having won Rome, then team as the US Open champion, then Nadal, which I found quite interesting. I, I don't I don't agree with him pre-draw, but now looking at the draw, the fact that he, I can imagine, a little bit like I was describing with Murray and Vavrinka, I can imagine team and Nadal taking each other to, to a place that humans should not be going on a clay court. And there not being an awful lot left of them for two days later. That's that's interesting. I had kind of the opposite reaction based on the draw. It made Nadal a more a firmer favourite in my mind because I just thought those first few rounds were the danger rounds for Nadal, and I think he's I think he's coasting through three rounds and will find his form and top gear for the latter stages. And when when he does find his top form, he doesn't even get pushed to five sets at the French Open. In I think he's been to five sets once. In June sure. outdoors. This this could well be autumn indoors, and I think that that could be very different. Yeah, I, th- I think the conditions are important to to take into account, but I think we're doing Nadal a disservice on clay if we don't yeah. think he can adapt to those conditions. 12-time champion. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it is. Very, it is. The forecast is very autumnal, though, isn't it? It's it's going to feel weird. It's going to be I cold. I hope it, it's probably. windy and cold and <laughs> just quite funny. <laughs> I, I'm here for a bit of wind and weather chaos. We had wind and weather chaos last year, didn't we? We had a sandstorm. Was that not enough for you? <laughs> um, yeah, the forecast is. De- it's definitely going to feel very different now as things stand at the moment we're recording on friday morning uh the draw was done last night the tournament starts in well in in 48 hours time the tournament will be underway um as it stands at the moment we believe that 1000 fans per day will be permitted entry to Roland Garros. Now, the French government issued a change to their rules and guidelines a couple of days ago. Uh, mass gatherings had been reduced from 5,000 to 1,000, which put the writing on the wall for, for Roland Garros. Still, though, after that, the tournament officials, Guy Forget, the tournament director, was going out saying they were hoping an exemption would be made for the French Open and that they would still be permitted to have the the 5,000 fans per day that they were planning on at that time. There were some slightly questionable quotes floating around from Guy Forget saying it's still it's still safer than to, to come to watch outdoor tennis than it is to go to the supermarket or go on the metro. 
Um, a lot of people subsequently then pointing out, well, how do you think most of those fans are going to get to Roland Garros? It's on the Metro. But anyway, um, and then there were some rumours circulating last night as a result of the French Prime Minister appearing on, on French television, um, looking slightly unsure of the exact situation, but heavily implying that the 1,000 people permitted on site every day would be inclusive of staff and players. So all accredited people would be included in that 1,000 uh, person allocation, which, as we understand it, would, would essentially leave no fans um, being allowed on site. We now understand, courtesy of L'Equipe, um, who are pretty much always accurate um, in terms of their reporting, that it will be 1,000 fans per day in addition to accredited persons on site. And that is where we stand at the moment, that there will be a 1,000 fans per day, uh, all of them on Chatrier, socially distanced, uh, unless obviously you're coming from the same household. That could very much change <laughs> over mm. the course of the, the next 48 hours because, I mean, frankly, it could change over the course of the fortnight because it is extraordinary how shifting the sands are that this tournament is being staged on. Yeah, that that's bothered me f for a while first of all what always felt like unrealistic expectations in terms of what might be possible given the rate of increases in infections in in france and in paris in particular uh, they were ridiculously yeah, optimistic i mean and i am an optimist but that was just absurd i thought at the time but i i thought maybe they know something i don't and maybe they did but things have turned pretty much how how i think a lot of us feared they would but i didn't expect it to be a couple of days before the tournament starts and then reducing from 5000 to 1000 and even then not really knowing whether they were going to be able to have anybody on site and i can only imagine the the logistical nightmares that has caused them and the the disappointment that it has caused so many people who would have had the hopes of have been able to go to this tournament um I, I hope they can have the 1,000 fans on Chatrier because what we saw in Rome is that it does make a difference. It does make a difference to the experience, to the the atmosphere. First and foremost, let's just hope that nobody gets infected that is coming to watch and that they don't have further problem and there aren't more cases of ill health. But it's it doesn't feel very comfortable to have watched this as you you described it shifting sands beneath the feet of a grand sand tournament with with just days to, to spare and they could very easily have found themselves in a position of having 5000 fans on site next week and then the announcement happening that this is happening france wide and then what position would they have been in so um not ideal not ideal at all yeah i mean I I do too hope, I think, that they are able to have the 1,000 fans safely because exactly as you say, I think prior to Rome and those last couple of days of Rome, I would have thought, you know, what what difference does it make? It's, it's you know, a drop in the ocean. But actually it made an, an enormous difference in Rome, really, really emotional difference, actually. I talked about that on our on our last podcast. So I hope that they're able to have that. I do. The The way the last few days have, have played out has made me concerned generally about the decision-making 
um, and about the slightly cavalier attitude to the whole thing. I mean, yeah, I, I, I sort of admired his optimism and confidence, but some of the things that Guy Forget was was saying yesterday seemed pretty out of out of tune um, with with the with the pitch of where this pandemic is is at at the moment you know even with a thousand fans per day statistically it is almost certain that people with coronavirus either asymptomatic even assuming that everybody that's symptomatic stays at home statistically it's almost certain that people with asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic coronavirus will be going to the french open um and yeah, I, I realised that that they'll be socially distanced uh, inside the stadium. But you know, what about queuing at the turnstiles to get in and stuff? You know, that can be with the increased security measures they've had at Roland Garros for the past couple of years. That's been an absolute nightmare. Some of the the crushes, frankly, you can get at the turnstiles to get in. And okay, this is going to be massively reduced. But I just until I actually see that happening safely um and cautiously um i won't quite be reassured about the situation because the the whole way the last few days have panned out hasn't really provided much reassurance and that's including there was no official statement or information coming from roland garros or the french tennis federation last night when the situation was so confused and it wasn't helped by the, as you said, the French Prime Minister going on French television and just further complicating everything. I mean, That we... was extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've heard that before. <laughs> Prime Minister confuses things further. Um, I mean, that, that was the situation. As, as you said, he was saying that the, the 1,000 people would, would include everyone. Well, that line was calling into question whether the tournament could even go ahead because Quentin Moynet, who is the journalist for L'Equipe, was is saying that 4,000 people are accredited at this French Open when you include the staff and the players and the coaches and everyone everyone involved in running that event. So there was no way they could have just done it with 1,000 whatsoever. And then to not have any kind of clarification about the situation for... I mean, for hours, we think we know because Lekeep's reporting is is so accurate. But I just I can't understand how that has been allowed to happen with just forty eight hours before the event even starting. And as you say, it doesn't it just doesn't bode well for the rest of the event and also the the kind of measures and the and just how much care they're taking generally. It just it just leaves a very very concerning aftertaste. I think. Yeah. French Open safety anxiety, drip wrap anxiety, and too too much caffeine. It's a, it's a toxic combination. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. A few other bits to wrap up for you uh, in tennis news from this week. We wanted to mention Liam Brody qualifying for the French Open because he was somebody that we had as a guest on right at the start of our lockdown podcast. David, you spoke to him um, and he spoke so well about the situation that tennis's hiatus had put him in and players like him. And as much as he talked about the fact that he didn't play for the money, um, he said, I would play this sport for free. I do play this sport for free. It is, it is incredibly gratifying and heartwarming to see him having persevered through that time and that uncertainty and be having this payoff both results wise and financially because that's 60,000 euros he's guaranteed now Um, and as much as that's not what he's playing for it is massively significant to his ability to continue doing what he so clearly loves doing. Mm, yeah, I felt quite emotional when we did that interview and when I listened back to his words and how much he's just in love with the sport of tennis, that he isn't making or wasn't making much money. In fact, he was probably losing money overall, but he just loves it so much. He can't imagine not pushing his body to the limit and trying to get the very most out of it in tennis terms. And there are so many people around the world playing professional tennis or trying to make a career out of professional tennis because of the sheer love of the game yes if they can make it the riches are worth it financially but for many they never make it and and I love to see these stories of of players coming through qualifying I think qualifying in itself is it's a whole tournament and it's not a story that is told well enough and I I think that includes us sometimes we that you could you could just tell a whole story podcast series out of what comes out of qualifying and these people who just try to to get through those rounds but you saw him on his back in the clay having qualified for his first ever grand slam tournament main draw having not been given a wild card like he would do at wimbledon and it just means the world to him it means it can extend his career it can make all the difference and 
who knows, maybe he's got further to go in this French Open, but good for Liam Brody. I think, Matt, David just very subtly proposed Grand Slam qualifying daily podcasts. <laughs> on the ground, yeah. Be brilliant, well, no one's it? on the yep. ground anywhere at the moment, David. So. No, but in the future. I mean, yeah, and, and wasn't the plan to fit in some relived shows in qualifying week in 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 future slams? I mean, that's a good slams idea. are going to be a month a month long now, aren't they? Yeah. A week of relived, a week of qualifying, two weeks of the tournament. Liking your ideas, are you, Matt. Are you going to be proposing <laughs> daily Labour Cup podcasts in 2022, David, when that event comes to London's O2 Arena? Because that's what's been announced today. Yeah, well, probably, yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, I, I I, think it's wonderful to think of that on the horizon. And I probably, had the pandemic not taken place, I probably would have thought, oh, that's that's going to be really popular and that will be a, a good jazzed-up event at the O2 and it will be great fun and, I'll, and we'll probably enjoy it but not maybe take it very seriously. And I'm, and I'm still not convinced that I'll be hanging on every result that goes on because I... I still think it has a, a credibility problem in a, a, at some level. But, oh, my word, just the thought of it, two years from now, packing out the O2 Arena, if we can get to that stage, given... Oh, don't. You're killing me. ...what the last six months have been like. And I also think, and it did occur to me today, that this being the last year that the O2 will stage the ATP Finals and that those ATP Finals are likely to be in a deserted O2 Arena... I find that a really sad thought. Obviously, there are mm. many of them at the moment. But because this is the last one at the O2 and it has been such a success, I find that a really a really sad thought. And it does help to know, t- to know that that isn't going to be the last tennis that the O2 Arena will stage because it is a wonderful tennis and sporting arena that they've created there. Um, and actually, the Labour Cup, I think, suits it perfectly it, it, it's it it'll be a really special event i think that one yeah and and a, i just hope the o2 arena is still a going concern um in september 2022 because there was a lot of stuff on the british uh, news yesterday and, and last night about um what what dire straits they're in and oh, really um <clears throat> and not surprising due to the fact that most uh, arena-based employees, show-based employees are freelance. They're, they're yeah. not covered by the latest um, job retention scheme that's that's been announced. Um, so, yeah, I s- certainly hope uh, that that there's still uh, a going concern. And I agree, having that little, tiny little boat bobbing around on the horizon is, um, is a very tantalising thought and it feels... I don't want to jinx it, but it feels just far away enough that it's it's so okay to dare to to hope for it. Um, and also, just in terms of my relationship with the Labour Cup, I feel exactly the same as you, David. We've talked about it at length, and I probably would, for various reasons, wouldn't have ended up travelling to one in in the near future. Um, but the fact that it's here. Um, and I'm sure we'll cover it for the podcast and who knows how else any of us will end up covering it. But I will almost certainly go. Um, and I welcome that opportunity to experience it firsthand because everybody that has been does seem to say it's something that you need to, to experience. I also like the fact that they are putting their flag 
down immediately for two years away and saying mm. we are going to we plan to be there and i i really appreciate that as somebody who cares about the sport for a start somebody who has that foresight of what they intend to do uh if if you if you say you're going to be there you're you know you've got more chance of being there i i feel and i also i think an event like that, the only way it can ever reach the credibility that I'm, I'm talking about, and I still don't know whether it's possible with the rest of the world element, the only way it can do it is by continually proving itself, by continually staging itself. And fair play to them. They are, they are not being deterred by the pandemic, by anything. They just believe in their product and they're going for it. So fair play to them. I, I, would, I agree with you. I would just say... It helps when you got money, because there, there's yeah. a, lot, a lot of people that a lot of events that believe in their product and would love to be going for it, but but can't because financially they're not able to. Um, a few other bits and bobs to round up. There are a couple of tournament results that we didn't bring you last week because, quite frankly, they completely passed us by. Uh, events that took place in the second uh, week of the US Open. Uh, and we're all very anxious about uh, bringing you one of them because apparently we're all pronouncing Kitchbill wrong. And our lovely listener, Johannes, is telling us that he gets anxiety uh, whenever he hears us talking about Kitchbill. And we've we've all watched several videos uh, this morning, and in all of the, all of them, even by native speakers, Kitchbull is pronounced differently. So we are we're still pronouncing it wrong, and we're now very very anxious and confused about exactly how we're pronouncing it wrong. Uh, there's some suggestion that it's Kitchbuhul, like two Kitchbuhul, Kitchbuhul. Anyway. There you go. Um, it's going well, Kitch isn't it? <laughs> Kitch, Kitchbuhul happened. Uh, it happened in the second week of the US Open and Dominic team didn't play it, uh, which is why it rather passed everybody by. But Miamir Ketsmanovic won it. Misha, I think a lot of people call him Misha Ketsmanovic. He was um, one of those players that was really being talked about sort of a year or two ago. He had a good run at Indian Wells last year, former junior number one. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how he gets on in that. He beat Yannick Hanfman in the final. And in Istanbul, Patricia Maria Thieg beat Jeannie Bouchard 7-6 in the third um, to win that title. And Bouchard had had, that was one of a few epics she played that week. She beat Svetlana Kuznetsova uh, also, was it 7-6 in the third in that no, one? No, it was, well? it was, I think it was 7-6, seven, 6-7, six, six, seven, six, but, you oh, know, crikey. imagine that as a first round, a, a Grand Slam champion against a, a Grand Slam finalist. And she's had so many wilderness years now, Bouchard. It, it, it had almost become a, a, a running joke that she didn't feel like a tennis player anymore. But she has kept plugging away and gone down to lower levels, plays that during the week two of the US Open and gets to the final. Good for her. You know, it'd be, it'd be great if she could become a relevant feature of of the tennis scene again. Yeah. Um, before I round up a bit of other off-court news, you've put Casper Rude on the agenda, David, yeah. with absolutely no explanation. What would you like well, to say about Casper Rude? I just felt like, and this is as much my fault as anybody, that we just didn't talk about him in the Rome review. We, we, we talked to... Uh, about him in passing but actually he wasn't just a player beaten by i can't remember who beat him now uh, i think it was 
Djokovic. Novak Djokovic. Djokovic. Yeah. yeah. But his his results on the way to that were significant, and in fact, his year as a whole has been significant. I mean, this is a guy who was knocking around the hundreds in the world for a couple of years without making really any progress. He he had the the only thing I really took notice of him before this year was the fact that he had a row with Nick Kyrgios, and <laughs> that was about it. I think he wasn't he the wasn't it, I can't remember exactly what it was, but he uh, he he lost his marbles one time. I th- wasn't that in Rome? Was it? Was he the oh, opponent yes. when Kyrgios threw the threw, threw, threw the, the chair? chair. Yeah, yeah. And that then, was and Rome last year. Rude criticised him, I think, afterwards mm. in the press, and then Kyrgios, how dare anybody criticise me? Decided to have a pop on Twitter, um, and I quite liked for a start. I quite liked the fact that Rude stood up to him. I quite enjoyed that. And his tennis this year has been really significant. He, I understand he's he's played or practiced a lot at the Rafael Nadal Academy and appears to have developed quite a style, whether it's out of the Rafael Nadal Academy or whether he took his style there and because it fitted in. But he has got a heavy forehand with loads and loads of topspin. He seems to be a real grinder. Um, and he's having some notable results, and he, he even has a skyhook overhead smash, which is a little like Nadal uses as well. So I just, I mean, I, I always, I still write his name down as Christian Root. Every time I think of him, I write down Christian Root because that's his dad, who was a top 50 odd player back when I was. Uh, on the tour in the 90s. Um, uh, Whereas I think of Casper the Friendly Ghost. So I also think of that. There's yeah. a generational and difference. Just just while we're on it, I don't I don't wish to bring this up, but you keep spelling Casper wrong as well, Do David. I? <laughs> how, do, how is it spelled? C-A-S-P-E-R. Oh, is it? Why yeah. am I spelling like, A-R Like then? the ghost. I'm sure I'm spell- spelling it A-R because I'm sure that it's not like the ghost. It turns out it is. It turns out it is. <laughs> but um, and and also Thank he you. was having. <laughs> you correcting me on the podcast. There was, there was no nice way of doing that. <laughs> Definitely on air that. was the best way. Yeah. <laughs> Catherine Sorry. enjoyed that part at least. <laughs> um, he was also having really good results pre-lockdown. I think he he won a title and he reached another final on the clay. So I felt really sorry for those players who had all that momentum curtailed at that time mm. of the season so the fact that he's kept it going and seems to perhaps even be a better player now is is a testament as you said David to that work he did during the lockdown period and he is he's certainly one to watch at the French Open and I think you mentioned team's tough draw I think he's in team's section I think possibly in round three they would play so that would definitely be a match to circle and keep you, an eye on. Do you know, as soon as you mentioned that matter of being curtailed, the first name that popped into my head was, where's Jennifer Brady in the draw? Mm. That's suddenly what I thought of, and I've just found and it's, her. It's Muguruza's <laughs> section. Yeah. Mm. She, I mean, she, she, she's got to qualify in the first round, but I'm really interested to see what she's like on, on clay. Yes, agreed. We have had uh, an article today, a back page or a front page of the the sports section, because that's how the Telegraph do it, uh, from Simon Briggs about uh, doping testing in tennis uh, over the lockdown period and how it's all but fallen by the wayside. Um, He's spoken to various various players over the course of... uh, course of the last couple of weeks, Jan Leonard Struff, Kane Shikori, you know, comparing numbers, relative numbers of testing and it's, you know, 
it's dropped off exponentially. Um, now, none of that is specific evidence that anybody has um, embarked upon doping over the course of lockdown. Just that if anybody had felt so inclined, it would have been an awful lot easier to do so um, and uh, an awful lot less likely that they would have been detected, which statistically for me would suggest that people will have done it you know and that's that's why we have laws and deterrence isn't it because if if you if you if you don't not everybody will behave uh, according to the moral code that we might all like so it worries me um it, it pleases me that simon's looking into it and and drawing attention to it because it's something that's been occurring to me a lot because I'm a terrible, terrible cynic. Um, I've been kind of watching out for players coming back from lockdown looking sort of suspiciously fitter or physically different and players with suspiciously more hair than they had six months ago. Um, not not from a doping perspective, from a hair transplant perspective. Um, yeah, so look, there's no, there's no specific evidence of anybody having embarked upon a big course of uh, doping, but it rather makes me, as the cynic I am, think that probably some people have. So I hope that they're able to to step up and get back to pre-lockdown um, levels of uh, dope testing. Um, I don't know whether social distancing and, and restrictions on on-site numbers prevent that being the case i'm sure this won't be the end of it for for simon and his his reporting on it all but i felt, felt like an important piece and yeah. um I'm, I'm i was pleased to see it well as you say i mean whether or not there are actually any but players taking advantage of the situation or not there's no point in having a doping anti-doping system unless it is adhered to and run vigorously regardless of the circumstances that I do sympathize with what must be very challenging circumstances right now but it's important it, it, it mustn't be forgotten so I agree good good for Simon uh, last couple of bits of business um, uh, I appealed on the last podcast for submissions and candidates to be our bonus ball French Open mascot and to say I mean my expectations were high because tennis podcast pets has been one of the uh, the great triumphs of my life over the past few years uh, but I have nonetheless been completely overwhelmed um uh, you will be hearing more about how overwhelmed and touched and delighted I've I've been um on future podcasts and on some some mascot specific content that I intend to produce um I'll save it for for that because um the entries are still open until midnight tonight as we record Friday um and I'll be making my decision tomorrow but I had gone into this expecting to make just a gut decision on my favorite but um that has that is just not going to be possible because my gut has chosen 47 winners so far. Um, when people, uh, we've received three different photos of dogs in bow ties. How on earth am I supposed to choose the best dog in a bow tie? It is not possible. Um, so I am currently devising some uh, criteria 
uh, and an official um, kind of selection process. Um, so more of that over the coming, more on that over the coming days. And our final bit of business is about uh, your submissions for a non-gendered word for Alexander Zverev, which... Uh, ding, 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 patriarchy news is actually really, really, really hard because all the words that mean the thing that we're trying to express are gendered. Um, we had John Wertheim uh, submit peacocking, um, which on the face of it sounded like a really good submission. It's a great word. And thank you, John. But actually peacocking, it's it's to peacock is just about the most gendered a verb as there is because a peacock like a peacock is an explicitly male animal and it's a it's a perfect example of the male being uh, being considered the neutral and default because actually um pea fowl is the um uh group term for male and female pea fowl and pea hen is the uh, female equivalent and the pea hens don't have the uh, really fancy feathers so they don't do the specific act of peacocking. So it is about as gendered a term as they come. But I, I I totally understand why that was submitted because there are so few options. In fact, I'm not even sure there is a perfect option because, yeah, we live in a patriarchy. I've had some submissions, though. Go for it. Uh, all of <laughs> These them- people are now quaking after that <laughs> takedown. <laughs> Really regretting sending in their submissions. <laughs> I had 59 replies uh, when I asked for a, a non-gendered uh, word to describe Alexander's very off-court. And three of the leaders appear to, well, they all begin with B. Brazen gets a lot of votes. Brash mm-hmm. gets quite yes. a few. Mm. Bullshy is also used. Um, yeah, brash, I would say, makes me think of sort of loud and crass. Mm. Um, so I'd perhaps eliminate brash. But I, I personally have I think Bolshe. I think Bolshe's good. For um the one submitted by Richard Livings, which is Charlie Big Potatoes. You don't think that's gendered? What do you think <laughs> the potatoes are a metaphor for, David? Okay, I hadn't thought of that. You hadn't <laughs> thought of that. You thought it was just, big head, just a, pers- I was just a person big head. of any gender that's just got really big potatoes that they're going to boil, boil and mash. <laughs> Anything to add, Matt, before I wrap up this quickly derailing night train? I can definitely see the problem with this situation. <laughs> We've been the Tennis Podcast. We'll be back on Sunday with our first <laughs> daily French Open pod, our fifth Grand Slammer dailies of the year. We can't wait. <laughs> Pete, you've got, uh, if you're listening to this on Friday, you've got until midnight to send in your Tennis Podcast pet submission um, f- to be our French Open mascot. They've been an absolute delight. Um, please, uh, you just you've you've made my week. You've possibly made my year. I know it's a low bar, but uh, this this uh, pet competition has possibly been the highlight of my 2020. So, thanks for listening, and we'll see you Sunday. Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. 
you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bun of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.